Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman happy january everybody if you're watching this video on youtube you can see i'm still in my office i'm batching these i'm recording all of january um right before i move out just so I can savor my last moments in this adorable space. Because something that inspires me so much is recording while looking out the windows. So you can see here my beautiful storefront packed up, but I can still gaze out the window. This week was so magical with the snow coming down in huge flakes, and it was a perfect send-off for me in this space. So I figured one last go-around podcasting here rather than my house will just make me feel all warm and fuzzy. So I'm recording the whole month in advance. That way I can spend this month getting my home spruced up and getting my new office ready. As you heard from one of my episodes earlier this month, I'm going to imbue my new space with all sorts of magic. And it's going to take me a little bit to set up. Hopefully not too long because, you know, it's what I love to do. I can make it happen in a hurry. But until then, I'm going to just finish up the month talking to you right here. So guys, I hope you're having a terrific January. I had mentioned that it's so hard to look forward to things during Omicron. Everything that I've been looking forward to has gotten canceled, rescheduled, is up in the air. We don't feel comfortable making plans because who knows? We had the idea to take like a road trip in February. Uh, I was going to go to LA and work on a client space in February. She was paying for my ticket, paying for me to be out there. I just couldn't wait. And now Omicron, I still hope I'm able to go, but I have no plans to travel. All the flights are getting canceled. I want to stay safe and protect my family. So it's all so uncertain. I decided, you know, what can I do in my small way that would make me feel like I did have something to look forward to, that I could create something that just wouldn't get canceled. So I am going to check myself into a hotel for two days. I've specifically chosen a hotel that has two restaurants in the bottom so I can order room service without ever leaving my space. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to vision for the new year. 
I'm going to have a virtual dinner with some of my business friends. We're going to be on Zoom. We're all going to order takeout and just enjoy and chat. And I'm going to just take some time to unplug in the safest way I know how and an environment that feels new, different, exotic. So I can get the sense that I'm on an adventure when I'm just really in the town next door for two nights. Just give me this, people. This is all I have. You know, there's not much to look forward to during Omicron. One of the restaurants in the bottom of the hotel is Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And one night, I'm going to get steak and I'm going to eat it in my onesie pajamas in my exotic hotel location in White Plains, New York. Don't be jealous, guys. I'm a jealous. I hope you guys have things to look forward to. I hope you're staying safe. I'm so excited that you've continued to write in with lots of delicious questions. And without further ado, I'm going to dive right into them right now. My first question comes from Amelia. Amelia is writing from Canada and she writes, Hi, Betsy. Is it okay to have a dining table in the center of a kitchen instead of an island? Is there a way to make it look intentional and stylish? We have an older home and we're saving up to update it. You can see in the photos that we have very little counter and cabinet space. The kitchen is square and it is a good size, but the house does not have a dining room. The adjacent living room is too small to make sense and make space for a dining table. The only other option would be to remove a wall and make one of our spare bedrooms into the dining room. We're concerned about this because it feels like maybe we're taking some value away from the home. We think the kitchen is big enough to have cabinets around three of the walls and a dining table in the middle. But is this a terrible choice? Maybe it won't age well. Ideally, we'd like the table to be taller so it could be comfortable to do food prep on. Are there certain styles that work better for something like this? We're a bit more rustic farmhouse, and we think that look would go well with the rest of our house, being that it's older. Thank you for your input. So as I was reading this, Amelia, as I was looking at the pictures, it just so reminded me of Roseanne. Did you ever watch Roseanne growing up? Uh, so she had a dining table sort of right in the middle of her kitchen. And so these pictures really hearkened back to that kind of feeling. And I think it was so nice because it really was the hub of not only the TV show, but of their home seemingly. So much action happened in that kitchen while somebody was preparing a snack or a meal, while other people were at the table. I mean, it was just such a hub, right? But at the same time, if I had a dining table in the middle of my kitchen, I'm worried that it might become somewhat of a crap collector, that if I had limited counter space, which it looks like you might have, I only have two angles of this, but if I did have limited counter space, it might become that prep station. Uh, now, of course, if I was using it every night, I'd be clearing it off regularly. So I guess that would be okay. But it is one of the traps of having a dining table right there in the middle of your kitchen. So whether or not you should have it there, for me, is a lifestyle question. And also the height of it is a lifestyle question. High top, like countertop or bar height dining tables are really fun and they tend to be a more casual vibe. So if you don't have dinner parties, if you don't eat formally, and if you don't have small children, I think the high top could make a lot of sense because you could use it as a prep area without having to bend it down. 
It's at that nice level that just feels sort of organic. And maybe even if you're super casual eaters, you could have stools that tuck right underneath. So you don't even have to push chairs out of the way to sidle right up and chop your onions or whatever you're doing. That could make it a really kind of um, streamlined piece that could flow beautifully and function impeccably in a space that has to do sort of double duty island dining area. If you do have young children, if you do like to entertain and have dinner parties, I think a high top is not going to be all that comfortable. And it's also not going to be all that conducive to having guests. There are very few high top dining tables that have extension leaves. I would be inclined, based on your lifestyle, if you had kids, if you entertain, to get just a standard height dining table and get one that extends so that day-to-day it can be just the right size for that island or for nightly dining, but then you can have people over without feeling like limitations. Now, normally around a dining table, you need 30 to 36 inches to pull out your chair without hitting anything else, like a wall, a buffet, a hutch, a console. And I would recommend having even more room than that in the middle of a kitchen because I want to open the dishwasher, open the stove, do the dishes. Maybe somebody's coming behind me. So I would recommend 48 inches on either side. And as I'm eyeballing these pictures, I think that's possible here. But as you're choosing the width of your table, I would be quite mindful of having that extra room to move around. I would also be mindful that the table's materials need to work seamlessly with the kitchen's materials. So right now you have a mid-tone to light wood table with mid-tone to light wood chairs. Meanwhile, the cabinets are white doors, and then the actual frame of the cabinet is like a dark wood. And so for me, it not only feels incongruous spatially, like sort of plopping a table in the middle of the kitchen, But it also feels incongruous stylistically. So I would want to make sure if the table has any wood elements that that wood coordinates with the woods from the cabinet. I want to make sure that this space feels really cohesive rather than you just taking a dining room from your old space and plopping it in the middle of this room and trying to make things work. If they really look good together, if they look like one cohesive unit, it's going to feel less disjointed and awkward. And then also you want to think about the materials you're using. If I was going to have a dining table and chairs right in the middle of my kitchen, I would make sure to avoid fabric or upholstered chairs because they're going to absorb the grease and smells from the kitchen. Instead, I would skew more towards leather or pleather chairs. If I had a marble countertop, I would avoid having a marble dining top table. You don't want them to look like they're supposed to be the same if they're not. So all these things are things to keep in mind as you're selecting your new dining table. I do think there's a lot of value to having extra rooms in your home in terms of extra bedrooms. So I understand your hesitancy to knock down the wall. But if you're not planning on moving from here, excuse me, and reselling, which is sort of why you were hesitant to remove that wall, if you're not planning on doing it for five to 10 years, I say do whatever makes the most sense for your family and your lifestyle. Because I think living somewhere for five to 10 years and having it really flow and work for you is so much more important than resell value. You know, after five to 10 years, you will have gotten years and years of value out of whatever arrangement you chose, and you can easily 
easily put the wall back up and it will have been worth the investment to both take it down and erect it. But the one person you want to ask, perhaps, about how this structural change would impact your resale value is a real estate agent. Because so many times people come to me and they say, Betsy, I'm considering these changes, but I really don't know if it makes sense. And I tell them, if you're worried about resale, if you're trying to decide on a renovation because you're wanting to recoup that value in the future, talking to a real estate agent is key because they're in the market of reselling. And I'm in the market of making your interior design dreams come true and making your home more functional for you, not for somebody else that we don't even know in the future. So I hope that helped and gave you a lot of clarity, Amelia. Thanks for writing in. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com, click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. My next question comes all the way from Australia from Julianne. Julianne says, hi, Betsy. You say that wall art should be 50 to 75% of the width of your furniture, but how does this apply to a dining table? Should art be 50 to 75% of the width of the table only, or should the chairs be counted towards that width? A photo is attached of the table I bought. I also bought six black leather chairs. The art is custom-framed, colorful fabric, which is very meaningful to my husband and to me. But that means that we can pick any size. Thanks in advance. So Julie, thanks so much for sending in this table. It looks like it is a round marble top with a dark sort of graphite metal base that's got this really cool, very contemporary X it's a really interesting, compelling table. I just love it. I love a circular table with a pedestal base because you can fit more people around. And so that means if you're a family of four just eating dinner, you can easily talk and chat and it's optimal for conversation. But if somebody comes over, you can just squeeze in another chair and you don't have those legs right on the ends. So it's not kind of dictating how many people can fit around. So I think this table is really cool for a variety of reasons. Yes, I typically make it so that the artwork is 50 to 75% the size of the table, not of the table with the chairs. 
But the other thing that you want to consider in a dining space is how big is the wall behind the dining table? Because sometimes, you know, the dining table is not going to be pushed up against the wall. That rule is really for objects that will be pushed up against the wall. And certainly in some apartments or tight spaces, I will push a dining table against the wall, but it's quite rare. And you certainly would not do it with a circle, right? So if this table's floating in the middle of the space, you don't have to follow that rule. It's more about what's the size of the wall because it's not directly above something that's directly below it, if that makes sense. So in that case, say I had like a 10-foot wall behind this 60-inch dining table. I would be more concerned with making that wall feel full. So maybe I would do three pieces, like a triptych, that were all 30 by 30 with a few inches between. That would much better fill the wall, even though you know if you add up those three pieces with the space in between, it's much bigger than the 60 inches. So I hope that makes sense because just to reiterate again, it's not about being 50 to 75% of the length of the piece if the piece is not directly below it. If the piece is in the middle of the room and the artwork is three feet away on the wall, then they don't have to have that same relationship. You know, I would also consider this with any piece of furniture that floats in the middle, like a grand piano, right? So you may have a piece of art above a grand piano, but the grand piano is floating sort of in the middle of the room or on a diagonal. So they're not in direct relationship. I hope that helps to clarify. And I'm really excited to see what you do with your dining area. Keep us posted. Let's get to my next question. Next question today comes from Eric. Eric's writing all the way from New Jersey. Eric, I can practically see your house from my storefront. All right, you say, hi, Betsy. I'm a new listener to the show, but I've already found your insight to be very helpful when thinking about how to design my new home. I was hoping you could give me advice about what I can do with the dated fake wood paneling wall currently found in my living room. I'm planning on removing the carpeting in this room and showcasing the hardwood floor underneath, but I cannot stand to look at that fake wood paneling on the wall. Can this paneling be painted or wallpapered? How would you recommend doing that? Also, as this room has a fireplace and television hookups on opposite walls, how would you tackle the room's arrangement to ensure optimum viewing of both? I appreciate any help you can provide. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. Well, Eric, yes, there is much you can do to cover wood paneling. There are, you know, four ideas that come to mind to fix wood paneling. The first is that you can paint it, right? You do need to prep the wall and you do need to, you know, follow some very specific steps to make sure that it's ready to hold paint. But that is the easiest way to go about reimagining wood paneling. There's another fun thing that you could do that's not very expensive, even though it is more labor intensive, and it's called adhering a liner. So it's a wall liner to the wall, and it's essentially a very thick wallpaper that you would then put on the paneling that would take away any look of the paneling. You'd lose all the grooves, all the texture, and it would make it look very much like drywall. Now, this is, again, 
a process. And personally, I would hire a professional for this because not only do you have to clean the wall with a specific cleaner, which you'll probably have to do when you paint as well, but you have to prep the wall with a specific type of sealer. And then you have to put on the liner, which is much like adhering wallpaper, except this liner has no intrinsic texture or pattern. So that's another way to go about it. Now, a cool and imaginative way to embrace the wood paneling while also using the liner is to create a type of wainscoting. So if you're familiar with that wainscoting look, which has sort of those planks at the bottom and then a chair rail that goes around the middle, that could be pretty cool. So you're only doing the liner a certain way from the ceiling, maybe to three feet before, between three and four feet before the floor, right? Then you install a piece of molding. You paint the molding as well as the paneling that you've left below the molding, a white like the trim. And then you've got that smooth liner above the chair molding and you paint that the same color as the walls, right? So that's a very creative way to reimagine this wood paneling in a contemporary way. Because right now with the farmhouse style being so hot, everybody is loving wainscoting, beadboard. So that kind of paneled look at the bottom, as long as it's treated in a fresh trim-like way, is going to be very compelling and may even enhance resale. In your case, I'm not really too excited about you doing that because this wood paneling only appears to be on one wall in the room. Because it's only on one wall, I think you need to make this wall look like the others. So you could do that wall liner. And the other thing you can do, as you mentioned, is you can wallpaper over this, but you'll still have to do that wall liner application underneath because with normal wallpaper, you're going to be seeing those grooves and that's going to be unsightly. The paper is not going to stick well. So in my estimation, unless you are very, very handy, I would be hiring someone for all four of my ideas, whether you choose to wallpaper, wainscoat, paint, or use a wall liner all over. Those are sort of my suggestions. Now, you did also ask me where to put this TV. And the problem is that the room where the fireplace is, that sort of area by the fireplace, is pretty shallow. So putting any sort of sofa or seating directly opposite the fireplace is really going to gum up the works because there's so many walkways adjacent to this fireplace that it's really in kind of a high traffic zone. That being said, opposite the fireplace, kind of kitty corner in the room, there's this beautiful, long, unbroken wall. And you know, I'm always trying to put seating on beautiful, long, unbroken walls because that's where a sofa might fit best. However, you know, you're quite limited here because you don't have very many usable walls. So the idea of accommodating a television is quite tricky because on either side of the fireplace, there's very little wall. Maybe there's three feet on the left-hand side, and maybe there's two feet on the right-hand side, neither of which is appropriately wide enough for a TV. And then if we're looking at the fireplace, it's all brick, but it has sort of this unusual mantle that is about three quarters of the way up from the floor, meaning that there's not enough room for a TV above it. And there's certainly not enough room for a TV below it. So unless you can remove that mantle and have it just be a nice, clean, straight face, 
putting it above the mantle is not a solution either. Now, with a room such as this one that has very tricky, very limited options, you may have heard me say on my podcast that I don't give floor plan advice off the cuff because I like to do my due diligence and try every possible option. So I would ask that you do the same, weighing each possible option of what's actually available in the space, because based on the limited pictures I have here, and like I said, I don't have a picture of every angle, so I can't know all the options. But I do know that you're going to have to be very strategic in this space with so many openings, so few long unbroken walls, and so many sorts of indentations, nooks and crannies. This room is not straightforward. And it will be a challenge for you to find that ultimate floor plan. And there's probably only one. So make sure you do your due diligence and try every possible option because personally, I would be quite challenged by trying to fit both a TV and primary seating in this space. All right, guys, it has been great being with you again this week. What a month, right? Well, in February, I will be back and I will be in a different mindset. I will be refreshed, fingers crossed. I will be forward looking. I will have had time to both reflect on the past and look forward to the future. I will have been in my hotel room for a couple of days. And I think I'll have a brand new perspective, not only on the year, but also on COVID and all the uncertainties we're facing. So I wish you clarity. I hope that you give yourself grace as you determine when you're finding your certainty. And um, I wish us all just the best for 2022. So guys, until February, have a great rest of your month and I'll talk to you soon. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.